We're back with part two of chapter four. All right, I'm ready. Just as a recap, the last thing that we addressed is that the mitzvahs themselves are the means through which we can navigate this world and use it as a way of achieving our own perfection or, God forbid, on the other side, re-engaging in our deficiency. Mm. So let's delve in a little bit deeper What's the context for how do we do that? Among the things that a person needs to reinforce within himself, that is these two things, the love and fear of God, respectively. The, before I go on to explain, before he goes on to explain the details of what that means uh, very briefly, I want to address these two terms because this it seems strange that, first of all, fearing God has a, a largely a negative connotation. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that a lot, and I don't entirely understand what it means to like actively choose to fear God and why, why, that, why is that a good thing? Right, it seems like it's negative because it, it, the connotation that it has, especially in Western society, it feels like God is this tyrant and I'm this despicable creature that deserves to be destroyed. Well, it's like fearing punishment from God, which you know automatically assumes that we're gonna that we're gonna sin and and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, b- being afraid of God, mm. uh, and none of that's true. Uh, well, it's it's kind of true, but it needs to be understood from a different perspective. The truth is that if you anybody who grew up in a religious household, a Jewish religious household, Orthodox Judaism that got a proper Torah education understands that fear of God is very positive. And it's the thing that should be aspired to the most of all traits. It's not about feeling like you're bad and that you deserve to be destroyed and you're afraid of this tyrant. There are levels, in fact, there is a level of fearing punishment, uh, but what's brought down is that that is the lowest level fear and it's Basically, for a child, that's helpful because that's that's more or less the only level of fear that they can relate to. That makes sense that that would be my initial understanding of it then. The problem is we never grow past our childish understanding of theology if we're not given a... That's why we're here. ...proper education, exactly. So it, it does start with that. That's what a child can understand. I don't clean my room. I get punished, right? But it, it goes much more than that. And let's let him discuss exactly what that entails, what it would look like to fear God. And then based on that, we'll, we'll try to flesh it out a little bit more. But he says, That you contemplate the greatness of God. This is love. Well, the, the contrast here that he's giving is, is really fear. But he'll come mm-hmm. back to love in a okay. second. He says, that you contemplate the great loftiness of God, comma, and the great lowliness of man. Mm. The contrast of recognizing how small I am compared to God brings about a quote-unquote fear, or really an awe. That makes sense. If you, if you would dare to be afraid of the ocean... How much smaller are you relative to God? 
Exactly. Yeah, th- th- that's a good example because these, those are examples that we should take and use as a model. Those are things that we can really relate to. And if, you, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, uh, I haven't, but I'm, I'm awaiting the experience. And you see the vast greatness of the landscape. Mm. Or if you stare up at the sky out in the wilderness and you see all the stars and you're struck by such a profound feeling of awe that this is great and massive and you have a clear recognition of how incredibly enormous the universe is Mm -hmm. and how small I am. And it brings a very humble feeling to oneself. That is the ideal emotional experience of fear of God. Recognizing, yeah, there's God and there's me and I'm not God. Hmm. That's the core of of fear of God. And that a person not only recognizes that he's not God, but recognizes that God is greater. And so he uses this word here, and the problem I'm having is, is that there's not really a good word to translate this into English. And it really says a lot about our culture that we don't have a word that really expresses this. I might say, um, that one should subjugate themselves to God. Hmm. But that's not entirely accurate because it has the connotation that you're going to be serving God, which is also true, but that's not what this word means. Maybe debase is closer, but it's not entirely... Yeah, but also, right, it has the connotation of something very negative about the self. Yeah, The idea is, if you've ever seen Wayne's World... You know, Wayne and Garth get down, bow and prostrate themselves, say, we're, we're not, not, we're not. <laughs> it's that feeling, except you don't necessarily physically have to prostrate yourself. It's the attitude where I recognize that you're greater than me. And therefore, I come with respect. That's the idea here. The fact that we don't have, maybe it's my lack of, it's definitely my lack of vocabulary. But the fact that it's not readily at the tip of, of most people's tongues it shows something about, you know, we don't really have these kinds of relationships in our culture, and, and that puts us at a disadvantage for relating to God. Please, if you know this word we're looking for, email the rabbi. <laughs> Please, send, <laughs> leave, a, leave a review, leave a comment, something. Now, furthermore, the yevush miroimimusai, and this word yevush, it also has very negative connotations. Uh, let's translate it and he's embarrassed or ashamed in God's presence. It sounds bad. It sounds like, again, I'm a despicable, deplorable thing, and therefore I'm embarrassed because of how terrible I am in the presence of God. That's not what this means. It's not about thinking about how awful I am. What this makes me think of is you know, the idea that any of us walk around thinking that we understand or or control some aspect of our reality uh, and we really go through life this way uh, thinking that that we actually I'm driving I, I'm driving exactly and then and then there's that moment where you are confronted with either literally or more often figuratively the the presence of God and and you recognize, oh, 30 seconds ago, I really thought that I was in charge. And and you do feel shame at 
at the recognition that that you did previously, just recently, think that you were really in control. You really knew what was going on, and now you're confronted with this magnificent being that is truly perfect and is truly the the master. That, that's that's a great way of, of looking at it because there is there really is truthfully a negative connotation here with shame because you are you are recognizing something within yourself that's not good. But what it means is it's to recognize that you have deficiencies. Mm. That's that's what you experienced there, right? I yeah. thought I was in control. When I come into contact with an awareness of God, I recognize that I'm not. I recognize that I have deficiencies. I recognize that I'm not the king of the world. And it's that awareness that brings, quote unquote, shame. But it's not to the extent that I then say, therefore, I'm terrible. Therefore, I'm a, I label myself as a bad person. Right. That, that's not what shame is supposed to do. Shame should and could be very, very healthy. And in fact, it's brought down that it's a Jewish trait. It's something that's recognizable among Jews. That's mm. the, Maimonides says this. Uh, it's a very admirable trait to have shame. So we need to have this paradigm shift of understanding these concepts like fear and shame. There is a way of, of approaching these ideas that doesn't have all these terrible negative connotations. They're not solely negative. Right. There, there's something that to, to be admired and to, to aspire to attain. Mm. Clearly here, he's saying fear of God, this is the core of our approach to divine service is we, we come with that context. Now that's fear. He did mention the other one, which is love. And love, he says, that you crave, you desire to be among those that serve God. You're just like the way a person would crave a tasty donut <laughs> is you have a craving to have the opportunity to be of service to God. That is an expression of love, is, is that connection, forming that connection. And so really in this way, love and fear of God are juxtaposed. And they, they are opposites in a certain way because love is becoming one with God. I'm connected. So if fear is developed by, by contemplating the greatness of God and our relative insignificance in comparison, mm. how do we foster the love? There are a couple ways to do that. The, the Rambam says that if you, if you contemplate the greatness of God just without the comparison to yourself, mm. it, it generates uh, such admiration that you'll want to be connected to God. Okay. So that, that's one way. The act of studying Torah, which we'll bring up later on, that itself generates love of God because that exposure of divine wisdom will be something that will connect you to God. Ultimately, when you devote yourself, when you devote your life, your actions to service of God, that will create and develop love because it generates a oneness between you and God. When, when you acknowledge that what I'm doing here is only for God, right. that creates it. That makes a lot of sense. And furthermore, he adds this in, which is great. To be praised, a person craves to be praised in Hashem's praise, in God's praise. And to be honored in His greatness. That a person does need to feel significant. 
where does your significance come from? Only from the fact that you serve as a vessel for expressing God in the world. That's the ideal. Now, these are the means, love and fear, that are very strong, that bring a person close to God. That purify and, and lighten up that darkness of the physicality. And brightens the glow of the soul. And elevates a person one stage to the next until he accomplishes true closeness to God. So that's love and fear. Now in this next section, we go beyond that. However, God has given us another means through which to connect. That its level is far beyond any other means of coming close and connecting to God. And that is Talmud Torah, learning Torah. Hmm. Interesting, right? This is in two ways. This can be accomplished in two ways. The first is just the essential involvement in learning Torah, speaking the words. And the second is when it comes to your intellect itself. We'll, we'll break that down, explain what that means. Okay, so these are... I, I want to make sure that I'm holding these two concepts separately in my mind. One is simply reading the Torah. And it sounds like he says aloud. Um, and then the other is in regard to your intellect. Is This, this is your capacity for... Sorry, I know you're going to break that down. I yeah, just we'll explain to it in a second. So yeah, the first, the first idea is the act of learning, the mm. physical act of learning where you're physically engaged with your body, your mind, you're going through the process. And the second is more of the effect that comes from that, which is your understanding of reality. Hmm. Okay. So these are these are two different elements of learning Torah, the the act of engagement in the study of Torah, and then the understanding of Torah. Hmm. For Hashem's kindness. He wanted to give us a book. He wrote things down for us and handed it over, passed it on to the Jewish people. That is the Torah that we refer to, the written Torah. And then after those five books of Moses came the books of the prophets. That the effect, the, the great beneficial effect that comes from these things, that someone who engages in the study of these works with holiness and purity, now it's important, these are conditions, meaning if you, it, it won't work for any random person to just pick up the Bible and start reading it and expect it to have an effect on you. You must first, Make yourself into a proper vessel. You have to be aligned with the Torah, which means you have to achieve holiness and purity. That seems pretty abstract right now. Well, it's wild that that's a, a precondition too. It's like, man, this is this is the instruction manual to do that. So, so to some level, you can't be completely impure. 
So he, what he's saying, it's not a condition for fulfilling the mitzvah. What he's saying is, what he's about to say now is that there will be an effect. Someone who has purified themselves, and he's not telling us how to do that right now. Someone who has sanctified and purified themselves and then engages in this study with the proper intention, which is to fulfill God's word and not to debunk it or just study history or something like that. When it's approached with as a sacred text, it will have an effect on the person that he will elevate to very high levels, and an extremely high level of perfection, just by reading the words properly as a proper vessel. And also, this is part two, someone who has exerted effort in the understanding and the knowledge and awareness, the cognizance of this wisdom that was given over together with its explanations, and that's the oral Torah, the oral tradition that we have. A person will acquire, according to his efforts, important point here, hmm. according to his effort, not according to their aptitude or base intellect. Right. We've talked about capacity a bunch before and how that wasn't going to be, you know, meted out equally, but it sounds like this is entirely according to effort, you're saying. Entirely according to effort. Now, a person who has a high-level intellect will be able to process more information from the Torah, but this is such an important point for our listeners to know. Torah is not information. It's not a science. It's not an area of study. Torah is living. It's living wisdom. It's holiness. It's the divine mind of God that's been infused into the world and given to the Jewish people. And when engaged in properly, you acquire it. It becomes part of you. It merges with your existence and transforms you. And that is only in accordance with how much effort you exert in attaining it. That's wild. I, I've never thought... So So, if, if I can, real quick, there the two sides of it, one is you're just reading the Torah. And that is beneficial all by itself, just reading the Torah, but then the effort that you put into understanding it, that is the actual living aspect, if you will, of the Torah. And that kind of permeates you and transforms you or has an effect on you. Yes. Now, I should point out that that first, the first thing that you mentioned, mm -hmm. just the reading it has an effect on you. This is specifically in the original Hebrew language. Those words themselves were very specifically composed and infused with holiness. When it's translated into another language, that's already an interpretation. So the best you can do with a translation is the second part, is the understanding of the material. And from that perspective, it's therefore much more encouraged to engage your mind in the oral Torah than the written Torah because it's so much more accessible. But that's not for now. We can talk about that at a different okay. time. And all the more so if a person involves himself and exerts effort in understanding the hidden and deeper elements of the Torah. Here he's referring to Kabbalah, mysticism. 
shekol inyan mehem sheyaskel yukba v'yisatzim b'nishmosay, that any element of that that's truly understood greatly enhances the soul. Madrega mina madregos hayoisa ramos shebamalo v'ashlemus ha'amiti, higher and higher levels of true ultimate perfection. I mean, that's that's the highest level to obtain knowledge of Kabbalistic understanding of Torah. Okay. So is he actually recommending that people go out and start learning Kabbalah? Good question. No. This is not a public endorsement for every single person. And like we said earlier, he's not providing instructions for the layman right now. Right? As, as he said earlier, someone who engages in Torah study in a state of purity, obviously he's talking about someone that's on that level. He's not giving instructions here. He's just explaining theoretically what the effect would be if someone would engage in these okay, so types if of you've, study. Okay, so if you've elevated through the proper steps, if you have gone through and you understand the written Torah and the oral Torah together— and then the next proper step is for you to learn Kabbalah and understand that, that would also be very beneficial right. for you. And all of these things that we're discussing here, whether it be fear of God, love of God, and Torah study above all of them, not only does a person acquire his own personal perfection from the engagement in these activities, the entire universe that the person exists within the whole world also becomes changed, transformed, and elevated specifically through his engagement involvement in Torah study. We keep kind of uh, tangentially coming back to the concept that man is a, a microcosm for the universe. Right. V'ulam, sibas kol adam now, we're going to come back to a concept that we discussed in previous episodes, which is that the darkness or light, respectively, that a person will experience in this world is a direct result from the either illumination of God's countenance, so to speak, the revelation of God's presence, or the hiddenness of God's countenance, God being concealed from us, as we mentioned earlier. Right? We were familiar with this. Hester Panov, and what's the other one called? Hearas Panov. Hearas Panov. Yes, Hester Panov is the hiddenness of God's face. Hearas Panov is the illumination of God's countenance. This is all from our perspective, the way we perceive the clarity of God or lack of clarity of God. Kihine. We know that these things are interconnected. The more that God's presence is revealed to a person, the more that person's perfection and, and purity is increased. In direct accordance with the revelation of God for that person who achieved it, that will be his level of perfection that emanates from that. The And the opposite of that is the hiddenness of God, yeah. which then results in his deficiency. Extremely important point here. God is always trying to reveal himself to you, to connect to you, to come close to you. 
ve'ein menias toiv mitzidoi klau, and the the barrier of that goodness reaching you does not come from God. It's not as if God is withholding anything from you because He decided that He's not interested. We have failed to achieve our perfection. The person that doesn't come close to God, he is losing out, and he is causing that lack of illumination, that lack of perception of God. It's all from, from our perspective. That barrier is put up by us, not from Hashem. It's like a relationship. I mean, it is a relationship. Mm. But in any relationship, it's only as strong as the person who wants it the least. Oh, man. God wants you. He, wa- he loves you. He wants to give you everything. That's the whole point of your existence. He's, he's saying, please come and take it. We have to choose it. We have to want it. The degree of our connection to God, and our relationship, and, and therefore our own personal perfection, it's all connected. It's only to the degree that we choose to come closer. God's wisdom decreed that one who performs these things that he commanded, that's all of the mitzvahs that were given in the Torah, like we explained above, that a person who performs each one of these mitzvahs, he will come a little bit closer, one step closer than he was before in all of the levels of closeness to God. And therefore, when he takes that one step closer to God in, in terms of closeness to God, what that means is another step closer in the revelation of God. Mm-hmm. And therefore, once that revelation is clear, that means his own personal perfection. Which that's a result of that revelation. So this sounds kind of complicated, but really he's setting up a system like this. All of these ideas are really one. They're all interrelated. When a person does a mitzvah, what happens? What happens is the degree of that mitzvah that he did, he comes that much closer to God, which means he has revealed God's presence a little bit more to himself, which means that he has enabled a certain level of perfection within himself. So he's, he's more connected to God and thereby receives more good... Or- I don't yes. want to say receives more goodness. No, but you're, you're but... 100% right. It's all, it's all the same thing, and we do say it in, in language like that. Mm-hmm. He's just he's filling out the whole picture for us. Okay. Right, and connecting everything. We did these back in, in Chapter 1, Chapter 2, these ideas of uh, what's the purpose yeah. of creation is to receive goodness from God, but we have to achieve it ourselves. We achieve perfection. That's done through coming closer to God. That's done through performing the mitzvahs. It's great that all this stuff is... Uh, it's uh, how do I want to say this? It it all builds on each other. I don't want to say that it's purely linear because clearly we're drawing on ideas that we learned in chapter two. Um, but it is it's very cohesive. This was this was his greatness, his ability to lay it out like this. 
the hefech zeh ha'averus. Now, the opposite of mitzvahs, that's these transgressions, sins, right? So what are sins? You're such a terrible person. That's mm. how God punishes you. No, not at all. Any person that will sin, God forbid, what he's really doing is distancing himself from God. He's creating distortion and disparity. God says, do X. Or let's say God says, don't do X, and you do X. What happens there is you have created dissonance between you and God. Well, I just had like a, kind of like an epiphany. <laughs> um, there's there's all sorts of teachings where we learn about um, the ways in which sin uh, has negative effects, but it's usually something like, like karma, where something in the world goes poorly for you. But this builds on that where, where the real negative effect is simply the increasing the hiddenness of God. Right. Yeah. When you act out of alignment with God's will, that naturally creates dissonance and hiddenness from your perspective. That hiddenness then results in deficiency in you because dissonance from God is dissonance from reality. So now you're lacking. Yeah, that's that's the true negative consequence. The Yisvasiv alov al madrig madrigas ahelim and through distancing yourself from God, it conceals more presence. The Yisatzim and then there will be a reinforcement of another level of deficiency. Shehi told us madrega elamahi, which is a result of that hiddenness, that dissonance from God. Okay. It, it comes out from everything that we've now established. The whole point, the true intention of all of the mitzvahs is only to come close to God. And to have a revelation of His presence to you. And refraining from doing transgressions is to avoid the things that will distance you from God. That's the whole point of all of the mitzvahs. However, specifically, what each mitzvah does, there's a tremendous depth to each one of them. According to the complexity of man himself, and the universe, like we've mentioned earlier. And we'll speak about some of those examples later in the book. It's actually toward the end of the book. We'll get to some specifics about what mitzvahs are doing and what their intention is. Oh, does he actually cover specific mitzvahs? He does, oh. yeah, some of them. Uh, but right now we're dealing with generalities, what the general purpose of mitzvahs are. And that, with the conclusion of chapter four here, we've basically wrapped up the purpose of life. So that's it in a nutshell. We've, we've, we've gotten the easy stuff out of the way. There you go. <laughs> the next section we'll be dealing with, uh, which is actually still the first section, it's chapter five of the first section, deals with the different elements that exist within the world, spirituality, physicality, getting into the, into the details of what exists 
uh, things like angels mm. and maybe some demons. We'll see. Looking forward to it. This is this just keeps getting better. Honestly, this is what I, before we finish up. You know, this this has been so helpful for me. I I keep going through my week, and you know, sometimes we take like a week uh, between these these sessions, and I I get I leave one of these sessions, and I'm I'm feeling great. Like I just learned a bunch of really valuable stuff. Spent you know time doing real important work, and then as the week goes on. And we get four, five, six days separated from the most recent learning. I, I start to ask myself, do I have time to go and meet with my rabbi and learn this stuff this week? And then and then we do this. You know, I I, I come here and we sit down and we learn this stuff. And I just immediately at the end of this, I'm how could I have even questioned if I had time to do the best and most important thing that I do every week? So I just thank you. Of course. You know, it makes sense why that happens, right? It's all about a concealment of clarity. I mean, that's what this world is all about. We live in a world of illusion. It's so easy to get sucked in and distracted. We're constantly distracted by everything the world is throwing at us. And the result is that we, we become so distant and apathetic to the things that are the most important parts of our lives. Asking our question. I mean, e even someone that, uh, that's lived this life, mm -hmm. that is living this life and has practiced it, to remember at any moment what's, what's the whole point of it all. There's a God in the world. Mm. My whole existence is just to connect to God. I mean, how often do we think about this it's it's not easy to maintain. I want to steal an example that I've heard you use before. Uh, it's like it's like atrophy. You know, imagine if you only went to the gym one day a week. Uh, at the end of that, the sixth day between, you'd be like, "Man, I really don't know if I feel like going back." Uh, it, yeah, it's you know, on a physical level, the physical level is always the best way to understand the spiritual level because the physicality is where it all manifests. It's the most tangible. There we can see what's really going on. So on a physical level, you talk about getting, when someone doesn't take care of their body, they're not eating well, and they're not using their body with rigor, they're not exercising. What happens is not only are they not improving, but they're actively destroying their body. Yeah, you get it, worse. Exactly. Yeah, it requires some amount of effort just to maintain your current level. So the the terrible the catch twenty two is that the worse state you're in, the less interest you have in improving it. And that happens for one of two reasons. I think number one is that there's a psychological effect that occurs that you, you become committed to the unhealthy lifestyle and you think it's too hard. It's just like I'm I'm too far gone. I've chosen this path already and not interested in, in pushing forward. And so there's that level of resistance in conjunction with the fact that as your body gets weaker and weaker, it requires more and more effort to just do very basic things. Mm -hmm. And that's humiliating. And so that's all true on a physical level. It reasons that that's true on a mental and spiritual level as well. And it's, but it's so much harder to- It's harder to demonstrate. It, it's hard to demonstrate, it's hard to prove. But it's hard to even notice in but, but ourselves. We know, but we know it's true. Of course it's true. 
when if a person's really out of shape, they can look in the mirror. If a person's mentally and spiritually out of shape, the result is that they don't think about it because that is a result of it, right? It's right. the the distraction and the apathy. It's not thrown. It's not one of those physically tangible things that's constantly thrown in front of us. Mm. God is going to make it so that you can forget about it if you choose to. You will forget about it. It's it requires constant training, like anything else. We have to train, and it's gonna. It's hard. We can't expect that. Oh, it makes sense now. So now it's easy, right? Because it's all obvious. Hmm. He has said over and over again. I can't even count the amount of times. In this book, he already he said requires a tremendous amount of effort, right? You remember this? <laughs> yeah. Like we, he's he means it. He it really means it requires a tremendous amount. Well, of he, effort. he makes it's it clear. Hard. I appreciate it in this chapter. He makes it clear it's not about your aptitude or your capacity. It it is actually about your effort. No pain, no gain. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's keep at it one step at a time. If you take on too much, you'll end up burning out, right? You get you get all inspired and you go to the gym and you try to lift four times your your maximum you're going to hurt yourself mm-hmm. uh or if you you know you push too hard you're going to end up worse off than you were before right so we got to maintain that balance all the time you get a little bit inspired make a plan make a learning plan you know you're listening to a torah class once a week that's good if you can handle a little bit more get a rabbi to help you develop a plan that can advise you and uh you know has seen people go through this process before knows you well and be honest with yourself as much as possible but it's important to push yourself a little bit not too far maintain that proper balance and if you're on the path you'll get there awesome just got to stay on the path till next time thank you rabbi